0: Charting a course for sustainable space, this is Space to Grow, an astro scale and market scale podcast with your hosts, Chris Blackerby and Charity Whedon.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Space to Grow. This is a podcast focused on what it will take to sustainably develop our rapidly growing space economy. This is Chris Blackerby. I'm the Astroscale COO and I'm coming to you from Tokyo, Japan.
2: And this is Charity Whedon in Washington DC from Astroscale US. Today's episode is brought to you by the letter R.
1: The letter R. What are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. This isn't Sesame Street.
2: Chris, this is R as in (laughs) repair, recycle, robotics, even revenue.
1: I like all All those words. All in space, of course. I get it. I get it. So, today is uh, a a really fascinating conversation. We're uh, lucky enough to have with us Pam Melroy. Uh, She was recently on the NASA transition team, but really her career is incredible. She cuts across all aspects of space and aeronautics, someone who hits on everything that is going to be essential to moving forward. Uh, uh, this the space economy she was uh, a NASA astronaut three times flown uh, she was uh, a commander of a mission only the second female commander uh, of the space shuttle in history she helped assemble the ISS uh, so her NASA career alone is is a story yes, uh, is seriously. a movie. Um, But then she went on and did a whole bunch of other stuff. She moved over to the commercial side and worked uh, at, at Lockheed Martin as a deputy program manager for Space Exploration Initiative. She went back to the government with the FAA. Uh, and then moved over the Federal Aviation Administration, uh, then moved over to DARPA, where she was the deputy director of the Tactical Technology Office. She has uh, worked closely with the uh, Australian Space Agency to develop uh, their, their fledgling activities in space. Uh, and so she is just so connected on, on every aspect of uh, civil commercial security space uh and uh it was a it was a fascinating conversation charity it was so cool to talk to her uh, an old friend of both of ours
2: yeah she is an icon personified and chris and i have known pam for quite some time and we really enjoyed this conversation on servicing and sustainability international partnerships and tackling problems one step at a time so let's get into it shall we
1: yeah this was so cool uh enjoy the conversation we jump around a lot of places you ready charity us Let's off. Let's do
2: it. Three, two, one. <laughs> launch, launch this thing.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. Um, it's, it's so great to have you on the, on the show. And, um, you know, Charity and I, we've, uh, we've been doing this now for a few episodes and it's always great to talk to people who have uh, such an incredible background like you do. Uh, and you've just touched on so many aspects of space from the civil, civil, commercial, defense, aviation, everything. Uh, and uh, we always like to dive into what drove people to get to where they are. Um, so, yours is a pretty inspirational story uh, in your whole path and uh, we could probably do a whole podcast just on that. But what what kind of brought you to where you are now and what inspires you and, and who inspired you and uh, you know, what kind of recommendations do you have for people as they're looking to do a similar type of path?
0: Ha, Similar kind of path. Well, you know, it depends on what what you think a similar kind of path should be. Um, I I think what brought me to this moment uh, is something that I could sort of summarize as, uh, (laughs) like so many of us, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, And unlike most of the rest of the world, I didn't outgrow it. Uh, and so, it was what I was really focused on, and I was pretty ruthless about eliminating everything from my life that that didn't have anything to do with that outcome. I mean, I, you know, did things that I enjoyed doing that had nothing to do with it, but it, from a professional standpoint, I was really focused on that. And uh, so, you, you know, you get to the the point where I became an astronaut, and. Uh, then it was another mountain to climb, right? It was a lot to learn. I didn't really know what to uh, what it was going to be like, uh, but I but I had a dream, and it was way better, and it was awesome to be an astronaut. Uh, but then there came a time when it was like time to stop flying. I mean, the personal growth, uh, the shuttle was coming to an end. There were lots and lots of reasons where it was like. You know awesome that you did this but i think what ended up happening was because i was so focused on this big idea and this big dream and accomplished uh what what i considered to be very important things as an astronaut that i realized that nothing else interested me anymore so after that i was only interested in working on important things But there were holes and gaps. You know, I had been very focused on being an operational leader. That's what a space shuttle commander has to be a good operational and to some extent a good organizational leader. And my vision was that I would try to find another mountain to climb and do good in this world. And so that's really what has driven me completely since I left NASA. And, um, what inspires me is um, big ideas, changing the world for the better, um, making the world a better place. So the recommendations that I have for somebody seeking a career in space is that it's extremely hard to visualize where you're gonna be in 30 years when you start your career, extremely hard. And so instead you should um, experiment, uh, become a deep expert in something, and, and then poke your head up a little bit and say, what's the rest of the world look like? Because uh, it's it's a very, very broad community. As you pointed out, Chris, there's civil, commercial, and defense. Uh, they're beginning to blur a little bit the lines, but uh, being an expert in something is is a big help when you poke your your head up and start to spread your wings.
2: That is that is amazing, and I be, you know believe that everyone who does aspire to be an astronaut, you know, they want to do good, and they want to not only do something exciting but something important as well. And and your your lessons learned there are are really helpful. We're really excited to have you here. Um, obviously, and this this is um, kind of a passion project for Chris and I in a way, right, Chris? And yeah, definitely. We, we want to have a multidisciplinary uh, and passionate uh, viewpoint on what it takes to grow and succeed in space. And sustainability is a really key part of that. Um, so that's that's why you're here because your voice matters in this conversation. Um, so Chris and I were we were you know talking earlier about you you have achieved the trifecta of space, <laughs> the civil side. Uh, the commercial side and the military side, national security side. Can you tell us about the differences of those experiences working in space in all three of those really important elements? And it, what are you know what are some what are your favorite parts about them, uh, one or the other, or challenges? And I'd love to hear your viewpoint on that.
0: Actually, sort of the biggest thing that comes to mind when I think about the three areas is how incredibly siloed they are. And uh, perhaps commercial is the least siloed because they absolutely have to engage with government. Um, Even if you're a purely commercial enterprise doing uh, telecommunications, for example, which is sort of the classic industry that has been around for a while, the, the, the laws, policies, and regulations have really been structured in the past around government, and so you've had to learn how to navigate those things. As, as we see the growth of commercial space, now you have commercial space companies who are actively seeking funding uh, for activities, and the, the industrial base is so deeply shared between defense and civil. That, uh, that they'd be foolish not to try to, you know, you might be getting an SBIR from AFWorks, and then tomorrow you'll get an SBIR from NASA, and uh, it's so they're, they're they're probably in the last decade, commercial is the least siloed because they're they're you know actively looking for customers, so things have changed a little bit in that area. Uh, I think the other thing that I find incredible is that both on the civil side and on the national security side, the complete disregard of the policy implications for the other community of the uh, choices that they make. And uh, the, the just just complete lack of understanding that when you do something, uh, it impacts the rest of the world. I, you know, maybe civil understands that a little better, but I, I don't actually think so. Um, I, 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 I just—it's—it's it's just really, really funny to me. So, to me, I'm really committed to uh, making sure that not only is the underlying technical base uh, well connected, uh, the policy interconnections need to be there too to recognize. That, that, that there's impacts. And you know my favorite example is actually in servicing. Um, satellite servicing is something that NASA knows all about and has done. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm passionate about it is because I did it for real in space how cool yes, is that
2: you you were really in cool tumbler in space it was <laughs> yes <amazing.
0: laughs> yes well and and leaving civil and going to the national security side and hearing the deep concern if not fear about, well, you know, what will people think? And, you know, what if somebody did something bad? And, uh, it's sort of a lack of understanding in some cases about how much you could do and how important it could be. And the capabilities that come from that, uh, have been very important. And so that, that sort of fundamental, um, different approach to the problem, uh, Really surprised and intrigued me. And it, that's definitely part of what I'm trying to do with my life going forward is to make sure that we make technically and operationally sound decisions, but also very clear eyed with the, the policy implications, the national security implications, the foreign policy implications. In other words, we all have to come together and make the best decision possible.
2: We all have to follow Keplerian laws <laughs> in space, mm. and we're all in the same yeah. soup, if you will. Right?
1: Yeah, and and what you're talking about, Pam, has to be done both domestically and internationally. I mean, I think what you were talking about uh, first, when you're saying, you know, you've done it, NASA's done this, the security side's a little more worried. What what's the um what's the disconnect there? Is it uh? Is it just just fundamentally different um, viewpoints on how we're using space? Is there a, a desire to interact, but it just isn't isn't brought together? I mean, how do you break down those silos domestically first, and then and then I want to get into the international and this whole idea of how we how we drive a space traffic management uh, goal internationally with all these disparate um, countries and all the different uh, concerns that that come up there. So first on the domestic side, and then and then maybe expand that to international.
0: Well, Chris, I think it's it's the old joke: where you stand is where you sit. And yeah. on the national security <laughs> side, uh, as as we all know, uh, it's a very important task to think uh, about uh, protection and defense of our country. And inevitably, you you have to take into consideration uh whether something has especially a new technology has some implications that uh are prote- potentially harmful to national security so absolutely support the national security community having concerns totally get it right this is you know you know very different situation with civil space where um it's open transparent obvious there are humans involved and there are uh, clear contractual mechanisms. Uh, at the same time, it the benefits, I think, uh, are, you know, there's a cost-benefit discussion that needs to happen on the national security side, which is, well, if we get serviced, how do we know somebody won't hurt us? And uh, I mean, <laughs> the interesting question about that is how do we know every single day when you have a any kind of service go on a base to perform a function or a service to support uh, the DOD? There's obviously ways that you go about doing that, but uh, I, I really understand that. But I think the the rational dialogue to me comes more from the operational and the technical where you can actually say, "Okay, what exactly is it that we need to do, and how would we protect that, and how would we approach that problem?" It, it it's too easy to walk away and say, "Wow, this is a really big and practical." intractable problem. But if you actually get into the details of what it is that needs to be done. And if you stop and think, I mean, national security isn't immune to the failures that everyone faces in space. Everyone has had a mechanical failure. We had a solar array fail to deploy on my third mission. That happens a lot more than people wish that it would. But we had astronauts who could go out and do a repair and and help the problem. So I think I think really those kinds of conversations are we're going to ba- break down the barriers.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. It's so important to do and 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 to keep telling those stories. I mean even just what you just said that little anecdote making people aware that this happens, it has happened, it's going to happen again. We're preparing to fix these kind of things. Um what what about then on the on the international side when we're looking at this Uh, it gets so complex when we're talking about this concept of uh, servicing and space traffic management and bringing in uh, the the geopolitical aspect of of things and how we get different groups to talk to each other. Uh, You know, Charity and I are on various groups and there's so many that are talking about how do we manage uh, everything going on in space? How do we manage uh, servicing uh, standardization and things like that? And we're at the cusp of this new type of a step in, in industry and servicing, which leads into these issues of sustainability and space and everything. Uh, how, how can we formulate around that uh, policy wise first?
0: Well, I can tell you that I am late to the policy community in my career. Um, I don't regret a minute of it. I think that the uh, deep technical and operational expertise I, I have is, uh, it clearly influences um, the, the policy discussions, what, uh, when I've had to wrestle with something really hard from a policy standpoint, I've sort of taken an engineering approach to it. And what engineers do when they are faced with a seemingly intractably, uh, complex problem is they break it down into bits and say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna scope it down to, you know, how would we solve this problem? And, you know, there's always integration issues at the end. Um, In policy, though, I've found there, it tends to be scaling issues as opposed to integration issues. So, uh, you know, from my standpoint, if you're trying to boil the ocean on solving every policy problem with on-orbit servicing, you're really going to struggle. And so you, you have to kind of put your finger on what's the most complicated thing so a couple of the complicated things for example rendezvous and proximity operations that's that is absolutely a trigger issue and it turns out for space traffic management it's one of the biggest technically stressing issues keeping custody of objects watching them knowing what where who's going where it's it's hard enough if you're trying to do it on purpose the the number of stories of for rendezvous and proximity operations where things have not gone to plan There was not a single flight I had. I flew three times to the space station, docked three times, every single time I had an issue. Every single time something went squirrely as as we were approaching the station. It's it's just part of, and we had to work through it, it's just part of the technical complexity of the issue. And so if we can tackle some of the, the, if we can focus down on a couple of these really, really important areas, and then and then say, okay, how do we feel comfortable with this? Well, maybe we should start with a more limited scenario. My favorite one being, let's go get rid of some of the upper stages. And I know you guys know how important this is, the upper stages that are littering low Earth orbit, th- there's a large amount of mass And one impact could create a huge amount of mass in terms of additional debris. So yes, there are huge issues with going up to clean debris that isn't clearly from your country, third party liability, outer space treaty, totally get it. But if you're working on your own country's litter with your own country's vehicle, you greatly Narrow down and neck down those concerns, and then once you have done it successfully and shown that it can be done, there's more confidence in the technology, and then you can afford to stretch your elbows a little bit. And I think you know, frankly, the Northrop Grumman MEV doing cooperative servicing uh, is is all is just like that, right? It's the first step. And it's simple, but if you're if you're worried about the legalities of building a vehicle in space uh, out of you know leftover satellite parts, I mean, yeah, my head explodes too when I think about the policy issues. <laughs> so so just cut it down, right? Cut the problem down to size. That's what engineers do.
2: Pam, we're talking about servicing, and I want to kind of back up and. You know, kind of tell a story of when I was in college, my end of year paper was on an honored servicer, and this was two plus decades ago. What is taking so long to get this up and going? Why, if there's such a clear need, what is stopping U.S. and other international partners and allies from going up and just doing it?
0: It's a good question, Charity. I think it's easy to uh, point the finger at the policy issue and say that it's been the policy issues that have held us back. Um, and in fact, if you you know sort of stop and think about, for example, the shuttle and the station, which I pointed out, two government-owned and operated vehicles. Uh, it just eliminated all of the policy issues and left only the technical and the operational issues. So the question is, why didn't, why hasn't it proliferated beyond that? It's a really good question and I don't know the answer. And when I look at the launch community and the level of pressure that's occurred, especially in national security space to improve reliability in the launch community, and then they have on orbit failures and instead their answer is well we just need to add redundancy to the satellite it is it is kind of mystifying to me actually why national security hasn't jumped on this too but i i, I, I they could have developed their own servicer right but i I just I honestly don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I don't really know. Don't. I mean money money uh, you know it's it's a finance thing and and maybe a sense of urgency. I mean charity i think as as with many things, she was ahead of her time on this topic yeah and and, and we, and <laughs> it was a horrible we, project way. <laughs> no we charity didn't we use this when we were strategizing a couple years ago? did not we like call back one of your papers? I think you sent me one of these old college papers you did yeah. and it was good i mean it still it encapsulates the problem that still exists today, but I feel like I mean, finance drives everything still. I mean, is the money there to do something, and then is there a sense of urgency? Uh, to make it happen. Um, so what I do think there is, is, is there's a conversation around, uh, servicing sustainability in space. Um, and that, that is, that is much bigger than it was before. I mean, we've all been, uh, involved in one way or another in the space community for at least the last couple decades, do you what, what do you both think? I mean, do you, do you feel like, you know, Pam, obviously first, but Charity too, I mean, do you feel like this conversation is growing and becoming more urgent and more, um, more discussed, again, both domestically and internationally?
0: Without a doubt, I think that the lower cost of launch has uh, shut off the idea that the answer is just to add redundancy to the satellites, make them bigger, make them more monolithic, make them, you know, Battlestar Galacticas. Um, and the cost of that is is crashing in the fact that small Sats. It's it, it, there's a recognition that that maybe maybe you could get the same job done without solving the problem with more redundancy, but instead adding flexibility. So I do think the conversation has changed a little bit because of that. What do you think, Charity?
2: Wow, I didn't think I'd be a guest on my own show, but um, that's awesome. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) definitely. Okay, so so, um, there is a lot of talk going on, and that's good. We need to talk things out, we need to sort it out, we need to hear other people's opinions and get it into the soup mix and out comes some sort of consensus building or best practice building. But what we also need is action. We want folks to do something. um, Design your satellite in a way that it can deorbit in an assured manner instead of leaving it up there for 25 or more years. Um, And this requires also transparency. So I'd love to see lots of talk, lots of dialogue, almost too many groups I can count right now (laughs) that we're, we're a part of, but I wanna see some action and I wanna see transparency associated with that action. That's an
0: interesting point, Charity. I think you're focusing a little bit more on a subject which I find very interesting. The space sustainability issue of which on orbit servicing is simply a piece, right? It's the, it's the recycle, reuse, repair, don't throw it away, uh, kind of piece. But there is also this additional piece which is clean up your trash. And I've thought a lot about this. I, I really like the shift to the discussion of space sustainability because um, it's time we got a little more blunt about the fact that we are littering. And uh, those are harsh terms, but I like to say one pollute, of the, polluting. Say. Yes, that's say. a really harsh term.
1: Yeah, and, you, let's use harsh terms. Let's do it. Let's put it out there, right? Well, but yeah. think
0: about think about the environmental community. I think where the most successful activism has been and there's some really you know inspiring examples is when people's community has been affected and that's one of the huge challenges of space it's not like well, I think NASA is actually getting a little activated in the area and worrying about their astronauts on ISS with the amount of debris. Yeah. But it's it's harder to point to a community. So the space community is concerned about this because we're operating there. But it isn't the same as having a, a regular person say, oh my gosh, look what they did in the ditch behind my house and and yeah. being concerned about the impact on their kids but the conversation shifting the the conversation to sustainability is important one of the things we haven't done successfully is show the average person how much their life depends on space every single day and and that's actually got to be a part of the message which is yes, you rely on GPS, you rely on these communications. These things are a normal part of your life. If they are suspended, there will be an economic and personal impact. We haven't had that kind of discussion yet.
1: No, we have to. It's something we actually bring up in conversations and, and discussions all the time is the orbital environment is it's a natural resource. And the same way we view a natural resource on the ground a lake a river the atmosphere environment we have to view that same way for the orbital environment because it is just as impactful if we lose it
0: it is but how do you how do you you know maybe we're talking too much to the space community mm. and not enough to the average person who is deeply affected by what yeah. happens that's if what they lose <laughs> access to yeah, this? Yeah, that's
1: yeah, one of the right reasons, things we want to do with this is to expand this conversation beyond the, any kind of echo chamber. So that's that's exactly right.
2: Pam, you know, staying on the theme of sustainability, um, there's more, you know, there's environmental sustainability, which is key and core to this issue. There's also programmatic sustainability. Can a program last or, or, or you know, go from administration to administration? You know, what are your thoughts on all types of sustainability, including that programmatic stay the course over a decade or longer that it takes to get a large scale program up and going like an ADR uh, mission?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Boy, is that the question of the hour, as it always is, especially when there's yeah. an administration <laughs> change that, yeah. uh, that 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 people are wondering about. You know how do we how do we do something that lasts beyond the lifetime of an administration? I think, um, you know, that is a. a, a I think the tough thing is there are certain things that simply cannot be done in a in a smaller period of time. And the way way that I explain this to people is that a mortgage is very different than rent, and um, if you if you 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 can probably find a place to sleep uh, for. A smaller amount of money, but you're making a pretty big commitment when you're buying a house, and you you know you essentially have to have some some plan going forward for that. And so there are some things that are bigger, like buying a house, uh, and you know there are some examples of that. You know the International Space Station would be one of them, uh, and almost anything to do with human space flight is. Uh, an expensive commitment, uh, and you have to be very focused uh, and 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 go forward with that. There are um, there are other things though that I think don't require quite that that size of investment. Uh, and the important thing too, even if you need something with that kind of investment, like an ADR program uh, going forward, the important thing is actually to be able to show progress periodically. And so, I, I really honor and respect a lot of the ADR experiments that have been done to date. Uh, to, to, you know, they are they are imperfect. Uh, you know, I'll be their biggest fan and their biggest critic, and say yes but you had to take your own debris up with you because you couldn't solve the policy problem so what did you truly demonstrate you know especially from a rendezvous and proxop standpoint I'm very supportive of all of it, though, because y- you have to show progress. You have to point to it and say, "Look, we we solved X problem, Y problem, and Z problem." Yes, it's true. We still have to work on, you know, LMNOP, right? All the re- remaining things, but we we at least tackled some of the big ones, and uh, yeah, yeah.
1: That topic of bringing our own debris on a on a mission hits a little close to home, doesn't it, Charlie. <laughs> I'm not sure who she's talking about there, but we'll uh, we'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's it's not just you. You know that. You know that, right?
1: <laughs> I know. I know. It, it, Everyone
0: it has to do that.
1: <laughs> and, and it's it's just so hard. And that's as so as for those of you who don't know, we at Astroscale are having our first uh, demo mission uh, this year, and we are bringing our own debris up, and we're demonstrating these RPO these RPO technologies, yeah. but to to do so on an actual client satellite is, is obviously tough for all of the reasons that we're talking about. Uh, and, and you got to solve one problem at a time. Right, Uh, right, uh, right. But,
0: right. But we, we do have to also pay attention to the, the bigger things, but actually, like I said, from a policy standpoint, you have to keep chipping away at it. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, so, you know, we're, uh, I'm, I'm here in Tokyo, charities in DC. Uh, we've got offices around the world, and we're like, we're an international company. This is an international podcast. So I know you've got a lot of experience on the international side as well, Pam. And, and this issue of sustainability is an international one. Uh, and cooperation among different countries is essential to solve this and to solve so many other aspects of, of space. I know you, uh, you work closely with the, uh, with the Australian. Uh, space uh, space agency, I guess it is now. Um, you've you've flown with a lot of international astronauts, including Japanese hero. Though he'd be uh, he'd be ashamed for me to say this, Koichi Wakata. I think you were on a flight with him, right?
0: Wakata-san, what a wonderful yeah. friend! He's so yeah. wonderful.
1: Yeah, he's fantastic. We should we should get him on here too. He's he's incredible. You
0: should you should. Yeah. He is. He's the man.
1: The man, as everyone says, I've I've He's given speeches introducing him, and and he always <laughs> hates when people call him that. That is his nickname, you know, Terry, the man. Okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, you've had a lot of international experience, but I I just wonder uh, any other t- thoughts on on the importance of this international aspect? Uh, we talked, we we danced around it a little bit with these STM groups, um, but just generally uh, where you see bringing in your uh, your time working with Australia and and your. Your time doing international discussions—how um, how you see that as uh, as driving us toward a future in space?
0: I think it's absolutely essential, and you know, I'm. My, I know I'm influenced by my experience on the International Space Station, but it was astounding to to watch people come together, uh, and I have ended up advising people on completely different uh, projects around the world. On cooperation internationally. And my, the first thing I say to them is, you need to find what you're both passionate about and agree on that. If you can do that, then when times get tough, you always have a place to go back to. And then you can agree that this is what you're trying, this is best for what you're trying to achieve together. And I think the International Space Station has really demonstrated that. Uh, it, It is, really, really interesting uh, in the Washington bubble a little bit, in the policy bubble, how far away you can be from the people who make it work every single day on the International Space Station. They're on the loops with their Russian, their Japanese, their German, their Italian counterparts, Canadian counterparts all over the world, and they are just doing what is right uh, every single day. And that's why uh, we need to work with our partners. This these policy issues require trust to go forward, and we just need to do it.
1: Don't forget Canadians. I, I know some Canadians who won't be happy if you leave them off that no, list. No, I, yeah. I didn't
0: leave them off the list. I, I know. know. No, I've noticed. I noticed. I know. Very <laughs>
2: attentive to that. That's very nice. <laughs> Pam. <Pen, laughs> um, Thank you for that plug. Um, you know, there's been a lot of events that happen in the U.S. Huge budgets as well. Space Force, Artemis. Do you feel allies and partners are getting a little bit of whiplash, trying to maneuver so they can maximally uh, partner and provide, you know, inputs, technology inputs, or what have you? Uh, but but the U.S. is just you know, so large and and moving in a direction um, every four years. Like, I would love to hear your thoughts of how you feel. Partners and allies um, uh, coordinate and 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 get ready for any shifts in in the way of of how the U.S. is going out towards space as well.
0: Okay. Well, this might be a little edgy. Okay, um, I'm listening. <laughs>
1: Gaining interest, I, yeah.
0: I I think that one of the things that you said is actually the root of the problem, which is that the U.S. is the large dog in the fight, and that has something to do with the twenty-three billion dollar budget at NASA. Totally get it, uh, but when you're spending that amount of money, it's inescapable that the direction that you go has an enormous impact on everyone else. So True. my belief is that what needs to happen is that our partners and allies need to grow their own space capabilities so that there can be a little bit more balance in the relationship. Um, I'm a very proud that NASA leads as much as they do and i'm happy to be a part of that but i believe that strong allies and partners are good for the united states and so i I do think that um that that growing space capabilities individually and it's harder if you're not spending as much money you have to focus you have to say what are we going to be good at what are we going to own you know what's the piece of this pie that we have and i totally get it and you know the u.s is like yeah we got the whole pie okay we got to build and the, the whole u.s pie. policy and
2: is to lead in a lot of these things too it,
0: it it absolutely is and i totally get that but i do think that even the u.s has challenges uh financially and believe it or not International partnerships where there's significant money as there was invested by all of our partners in the International Space Station actually helped the viability of the space station and the sustainability of it. True. So I, I do think, uh, this is, this is the difficult part, right? At some point you all have to decide who's doing what and, and getting there and, and then get going. We're all going to have to move faster, though, on the political timelines we're dealing with.
1: Yeah, I mean, no, no, no question. The international um, cooperation of ISS sustained it. I think if it had been a wholly domestic program, it, it might not have uh, made it as as far as it is. So, fully agree. So, um, we're going to uh, start wrapping up here, Pam. But we have a couple questions that we like to throw out there uh, and have you thinking big creative thoughts about uh, about what's next and uh, about space in general. So we've been talking about all of these issues of uh, sustainability uh, and and what we're going to do in orbit and servicing. And now we're last to answer focused on uh, policies of the US and then international uh, partners and these big missions and big projects that we're focused on. So as we're thinking about all of this and trying to advance our um, orbital ecosystem, even beyond uh, orbit and and uh, deeper space exploration, where do you see uh, space in general in 15 years? What are, what are a few of the big predictions that you could see happening? Uh, let's say in 2035.
0: Ah, yeah, 2035. Boy, uh, so when I think back 15 years ago, um, uh Orbital Express, one of the first uh, servicing projects, our DAR, joint DARPA NASA project. And where are we now? That's a little <laughs> discouraging if you look at those numbers yeah. and you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. we got to do better than that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think, I do think that, that the world is changing and the game has changed. And when you look 15 years in the past, Orbit Express, was the joint darpa nasa servicing project and then you say well we haven't come as far in 15 years as i'd like but i actually think a few things are making a big difference there's a handful of programs out there mev is certainly part of it uh, without a doubt astroscale is a part of it going forward i think things are going to Going to happen a lot faster and when you see what's happened overall in the commercial launch and small sat space what a difference a decade makes when you hit a tipping point point. and i think we're at the tipping point in servicing so what i expect to see is that we will have broken the paradigm the paradox i should say of the chicken or the egg why build a servicer when your satellite wasn't designed to be serviced and why build your satellite to be serviced when no servicer exists i think we're going to yeah. finally break that paradox and we're going to be begin to see things be designed for servicing so in the aviation world an on uh, an orbit uh, a replacement unit on on uh, where you slide a box out of the nose of an aircraft and then slide the replacement in uh, with a simple connection and on you go, those kinds of things will begin to happen. You're going to see a lot more standardization. I mean, CubeSats aren't in it, right? That's even, that's, that's the, 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 the very early view of the kinds of modularity that we're going to see in the future.
1: Yeah. I like that's, that prediction. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, me too.
2: I'm all for that. Design your satellite to be serviced.
1: It's, it's, yes. It's I love like that. that idea. So I'll be there. Uh, we, should, we should talk about that more.
2: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> well, so- you got to do the hard work first though. You got to do the sure. hard work first, which is to to design the capability to, to do it with a legacy satellite that hasn't been designed. Once you do it, that's when the confidence builds and, and also your capability builds.
1: Yeah.
2: I agree. Um, so I have the pleasure of asking the last very important question of, <laughs> of if you could be any character from any space movie or TV show, which would it be and why?
0: Well, you know, that's really interesting because you, you did give me a heads up on that question. <laughs> so, so I had some very strong opinions about the subject. And so oh, I I went ahead and but 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 I was struggling a little bit so I asked my husband. I said, "Who am I? What 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 is what is it?"
2: And, <laughs> and without
0: Box. hesitation he said, "Captain Kirk." You're of course you're Captain okay. Kirk. <laughs> and so I started to laugh because yes, I am, you know, in the Star Wars Star Trek, you know, endless debate, I am absolutely hardcore Star Trek because that's the world I want in the future, not the Star Wars mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. But the the yeah. the interesting Interesting thing about Captain Kirk, although I was a, a slavishly devoted follower of Star Trek as a child, which certainly influenced my interest in becoming an astronaut. The one thing about um, Captain Kirk, I, I really liked his leadership style a lot. Um, uh, you know, I liked the over the hill, you know, let's take it, you know, kind of uh, leadership mm-hmm. style. But you know, he's super emotional and not very technical. <laughs> So I was like, mm. no, 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 that's not right. So then I started thinking about the Jedi and I went, y- yeah, I'm fighting for right. I'm all good with that. I love the idea. They can't tap into their greatest powers unless they're relaxed and grounded. Right. How cool mm. is that as a thought? Very but, you know, very when you stop and think about it, we don't have a lot of female role models in either of those areas. Mm. And what a difference it would be uh, for me. So I I, I kind of scratched my head for a minute and I went, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I didn't have a role model, so I made one.
1: Hmm. That's great. You became it.
0: <laughs> I invented I like myself. I
1: <laughs> <laughs> love that. I love that. So
2: I'm, I'm the heroine of my own science fiction story it this just means pam that you're going to get your own tv show at some point and uh we're going to have to watch that
1: oh yeah i want to be <laughs> yeah. a, can i can i be a guest on it i can i can play a podcaster
2: <laughs> <laughs> let's
0: just all go save the world together and let somebody else yeah. write the story how's that sound yeah okay. good
1: good okay. we're in we're in uh pam this has been so cool uh thanks again for joining us um you know your your story again. We could probably talk for hours about all of the different uh, stories you have. Uh, we'll have to have you back on again sometime to dig into some of these other topics in the future.
0: It's wonderful always to talk to you both, Chris and Charity. Uh, you know, great. I, I love um, I love the fact that you're trying to change the world.
1: Well, thank you. That is a it's a it's it's a it's a big a big task, and and I love that. That's what you said when when we talked at the top of the conversation. That that was what you were focused on, and uh, you know we should all aim for that uh, for that kind of goal long term. So and
2: let's do it one day at a time, one bite at a time. Exactly. Like that that's a good lesson. Thank you, Pam. Pam. Thanks so much. All right, take care and, of you uh, guys. Lovely to yeah, talk to you. Too.
1: You as well, and hope we can see you in person sometime this year. We'll see how it goes.
0: I'm very hopeful of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right, stay safe, stay healthy. You too, take care. Thanks, Pam. Right, yeah. Bye Thank you. Bye. Bye.